Welcome to the Journey Podcast, where we explore the journey that is life. your host, Avil Salad. Each week, I'll be sharing with you a practical, inspiring message or person that will hopefully impact our journey in a meaningful way. On this big day, the inaugural episode of this journey, we got our first guest. On the very first episode of this podcast, which is in a way an honor of its own, right? Khadija Ali is an incredibly inspirational young lady who's been a good friend of mine for a long time. This interview, which is basically biographical in nature, which is also why, by the way, I will not be doing an introduction or giving you information about her background, because over the course of the next two episodes, we'll cover nearly her entire life. Altogether, it's about one hour and 50 minutes long, but do not worry. Again, I told you, we, I broke it down for you guys in two. And if you know anyone who is thinking, even thinking about going into the medical field, definitely send this their way. The, her journey will, for sure, be of interest to them. Also, quick tip on how to get the most out of podcasts. They're meant to be incredibly convenient. Unlike video or text, you do not have to pause your life to consume content. So stick your headphones in and live your life. And whenever you hear something that resonates with you, pause, rewind, and let that sink in. Khadija's story is riddled with powerful lessons. It's, it's, like, it's like a good treasure hunt, except now from stabilization rooms to love, Everything is covered. And here goes nothing, guys. Enjoy. All right, Khadija, welcome to the Journey Podcast. Introduce yourself. Who are you? Thank you for having me. My name is Khadija. Um, Abdurrahman and I know each other from high school. Um, he's friends with my younger sister and my younger brother, and I know his mom. And um, more so than friends, we're family. So I'm really glad to be here, and I'm very proud of what you're doing, and it's amazing to be a part of it. Thank you for having me. Definitely welcome. Glad to have you here. I know it's going. I know it's going to be a great podcast. Okay, so let's start from the beginning. Mm -hmm. Where were you born? I was born in Somalia. Um, okay. I moved out of Somalia when I was about two, so I don't really remember much of it. Um, but I I grew up in Kenya, Nairobi, um, and I moved to the United States when I was about. 14 or 13 around there um started in eighth grade at valley middle school so what was that like um it was fascinating it, it was really it was really fascinating middle school stuff um <laughs> it's the I worst mean, you know it, you have self-esteem issues and then now you have yep. cultural issues and you're like what wait my body is changing and people are weird and so it's <laughs> you know it's <laughs> um it, it was interesting um yeah. one of my the one story i will forever tell is um I, so, you know, in our culture, we don't really necessarily have sex ed or health class or any of that. Um, so my parents, you know, we, we don't talk about those things. So I was under the impression that if you touch a man, that's how you get pregnant. Um, because the only people I saw touching were my parents and they had us and my sisters who were married and they had kids. Oh and my God. Um, mind you, I'm 14. And so anyways, I was in cooking class and I will not forget the the teacher's name was Mrs. Bass. <laughs> I, I had that same teacher. Oh my god! I swear. <laughs> yeah. So um, I so I was in her class, and you know, cooking class, you kind of have 
um, it has a different setting because you have a kitchen and stuff, right? Yep. Um, so each you know group gets one kitchen, and we had about five or six kitchens in the classroom, um, and each kitchen gets about four or five students. Um, so my kitchen had me and another girl, and it had two guys. Um, and one of the guys touched my hand and was like, can you pass me the butter? I even remember what we were making. We were making fruit pizza. <laughs> this was traumatizing. Um, so he touched my hand and I literally like crumbled to the ground. Um, and I started crying in the middle of class. And the teacher ran over and this kid turned yellow and red and purple. And he's just like, what is wrong with this girl? And the teacher comes over and she's like, are you okay? What happened? And I said, he touched me. And she automatically assumed that he did it inappropriately. Um, and then she looks at him all furious and she's like, what did you do? And he's like, I touched her hand. <laughs> like, what is happening? <laughs> um, so I, so then I, I, I was hysterically crying and nobody could calm me down. And so then I got sent to the counselor's office and then he called my mom and dad. <laughs> my parents came to pick me up from school <laughs> um, halfway through the school. I didn't even finish the school day. Um, oh and they came in and, you know, the counselors, you know, he explained everything to them. And um, my parents were like, OK, I mean, we got in the car and as we're going home, I'm like, mom, like, am I going to have kids? Am I pregnant now? <laughs> and uh, my mom, God bless her heart. She's amazing. Um, she goes, no, but you can't. So don't. <laughs> <laughs> don't go anywhere don't near men <laughs> so i was like okay well if you know um so it it was it was it was quite the experience um so when i first met you when i first saw you mm -hmm. i should say at the high school yeah you ran that building how did you go from that girl <laughs> i know that i thought she would get pregnant with I know, a touch with a touch on the hand <laughs> oh goodness to what is it what was it called i was just earlier today i was uh yeah i was uh judging like mm -hmm. the debates, yeah, right yeah. at, at Dinah High School. Okay, and I, I remember you in speech and debate. Mm -hmm. And as I was judging these students, mm -hmm. they were incredibly intense. Yeah, and yeah. I was just thinking, like, how did Khadija get through this? How like, did this I do crazy. that? <laughs> um, they you were know, it, coming for each other's throats was intense. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, I'm a very competitive person in nature. Uh, um, that's just my personality. But uh, I'm also, if I'm not mistaken, you were national champion. I was. Okay. I was. It's I went to impressive. nationals and I actually won state one year too. Wow. My senior year. And I was captain my yeah. senior year as well. I remember that. Um, it, you know, it, it was a way of me kind of reaching out to these students um, and showing them that we're, we're the same. You know, um, my head is covered and um, I have a lot of melanin. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, and, but we're the same. You know, at, at Essence, I think bottom line, um, we all have the same goal in life, which is, okay, I want to make my parents proud. And um, so if you really look at it from the core of it, I think we're all pretty the same. Um, it was it was different for me because um, obviously my my dad had me at a at a very older age. So he at the time um, wasn't able to come to a lot of my events um, solely because of his health conditions and him not being able to kind of get around. Um, and my mom, you know, was by his side, which um, was amazing. So I went to a lot of these events by myself. Yeah. Um, so that that was a little that was a little hard. Um, but thankfully, I come from a family where there is twelve of us. <laughs> um, so I have, you know, older sisters and older brothers who have been um, 
you who know, are parents uh, themselves and and my yep yeah. who are parents themselves um and you know they were nothing less of remarkable yeah. um they were really in my corner um they were an amazing support system for me um and i knew who i was i knew who i was when i came home um so was debate your way of fitting in yes um okay. i think it was my way of just kind of exploring right um cuz we i mean we come from a different culture where you know you make friends and in high school your friendships yes they're in school and you guys see one another and you sit at lunch um but on weekends everybody wants to go to the movies and they want to go to the mall but then on weekends i had madrasa yeah so <laughs> there was no mall no or mall movies for, for me um so you know they would ask me every time they'd be like hey can we like you know can we go to the movies and you want to go to a bonfire you know you yeah, yeah and those things and i'm like no i you know i'm going i have madrasa and madrasa in and of itself was another thing because you had to memorize a page of the quran each week and you know recite it from memory um so then i had that going on so and there was no way i could tell my parents like guys i am ditching madrasa to go to the movies i mean that was gonna that was not going to settle well with that um a full course load plus college yeah. level classes at at the community college nearby i remember yes, we'd be halfway senior. through the school every single day yeah yeah and on top of that speech and debate <laughs> i know <laughs> i drove myself and, insane <laughs> and speech and debate if you guys don't for for those of you don't who don't know much about speech and debate it's incredibly tough mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it needs how, about how many hours of preparation a week would you say um i mean you need about 20 hours a week just for speech and debate. Yeah. That's excluding your schoolwork. Um because after school, you know, at the high school we got done at what 2:20, 2:30. Um and I would stay there um from then until like 7 p.m. every day. So what was your motivation at that time? Um I think it was one to make my parents proud. But I think two I live in Apple Valley. Um there is not a lot of people in this city that look like us. Yeah. Um and I just really genuinely wanted to erase the stereotypes and um what folks kind of thought of us. Um and obviously the media is not any help, but <laughs> yeah. um I think that's that was my goal. My goal was to cuz literally some of them believed that we were aliens to a to a certain extent you know like we we were not real to them um i i remember the first time a couple of my friends came to my house and met my parents and they could not imagine that those two people were my parents because they're like is that your grandpa and i'm like no he's he's my father um you know and so it, it was for me to kind of reach out across the board i think um and kind of create this bridge where we're able to kind of go back and forth um and for them to kind of come to my side and understand who I am and where I come from and that um I have one amazing culture and I come from a very beautiful community and just understand that you know understand yes this is who I am um but at the same time I'm a high schooler so how did you identify who how did you identify yourself in high school if I was to ask you mm-hmm. who you were back in high school mm-hmm. not today mm-hmm. what would you answer me um I think my first answer would be one I'm a woman. Okay. And I think that's that's very important for me to kind of say. And I think two I'm Muslim. Three I'm black and four I'm Somalian. Okay. Um and that combination doesn't necessarily always run 
things. They don't. Um, if if you look at it, you know, all the coaches that I had in speech were, um, you know, they were cis white gender men. Um, and the the captains that we had my freshman year when I first started speech, they all looked the same. You know, they had different shades of eyes. It was blue, brown, and green, <laughs> but they were all white and they were all men. Don't forget Hazel. Um, yes, and Hazel. <laughs> um, so there, there was that, and I just kind of wanted to insert myself in that and be like, you know what? I think, I think we need to have room for young Muslim black women to have a role in this society. Um, and, and, and let me tell you this. You are an incredible example. Thank you. Coming in as freshmen, seeing you out there doing your thing. We didn't interact much, but I, I promise you we were watching. <laughs> oh, thank you. I promise you um, we were watching. I don't think I interacted with anybody because I, I had no time, which if if I could redo anything, I think I would try to create more time for myself. Um, but I, I was so busy and, and I still am. No, I remember being on the track team and then some of the kids were also on the debate team yeah. that I was, what was it called, with. Mm -hmm. And then they would talk about their the tournament and they'd yeah. be talking about you and I'd be like, oh my God, <laughs> who's I'll this, be proud. <laughs> who's this woman? <laughs> um, I'd be like, yes, go. Yeah. I, you know, I think um, one of the, there was one event that I went to and it was in Forest Lake High School. Um, and Forest Lake is pretty far from where we're at. Um, it's about an hour away. Um, and I went there and obviously I was the only one on the debate team or speech team that, that had a, my head was covered. Um, and Forest Lake folks didn't, had never seen that. Actually earlier today, I saw about, I noticed about two Somali guys yeah. and about seven Somali oh girls God. participating. That is amazing. Sister, that is amazing. Really amazing that is really amazing. I am very yeah. proud of them. That's awesome. Oh, but, I wish but, I was but, there to but see back, it. But back to the point, Forest um, Lake. Yeah, Sorry. so I, you know, I was the only one. And, um, and you know, we have to, like, dress professionally when we're going to these tournaments. You have to wear a suit and, and all that stuff. And my suits yeah. were longer skirts and, um, and my head was covered. And so I actually got to the final round because they would post the finals. We would take a break at lunch and then they would post the finals and then the coaches would take you and you would prep for the finals and the final would be three rounds. Um, so I went through my three rounds and, um, we, when they come out to give the awards, all the finalists stand up there. Um, so we stood up there and I happened to take second place. Um, the gentleman who was saying the names had gone up to my coach prior to the ceremony and he said, she's in second place, but how do you pronounce her name? Okay. Um, and he told him it's Khadija. And he's like, what? Where is she from? <laughs> and my coach is telling me this after the fact, right? And I'm just like, what? Wait, what is happening? Um, and so he, I, I appreciated the fact that he went to my coach to try to understand. or To at least get the name and, right. Yeah. yeah, get the name right, which he didn't. <laughs> um, which oh, let's I was not like, talk well, about names. My name know, is Oh, God. Oh, the name situation is <laughs> a whole other conversation in and of oh, itself. Especially when a substitute teacher comes. Oh, yeah. Those were the best. Oh, Those were the best. God. They go through the line, which is like and Ryan, they, Tyler, Melissa. Then they pause. pause and you just raise and, your and hand. You know and you're like, you. <laughs> I'm here. I'm aware. <laughs> if you're lucky, they'll be like, I think for me, if they're, if, if I'm lucky, they'll be like, Abdi. And yeah. I'm not going to lie. I found that so offensive. I know. Because they don't know what Abdi means. Because it literally means service. Slave. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like. 
It's so uh, funny because I had a until my senior year, I didn't speak up for myself and say, "Hey, please." Stop either say my full name or call me Salad. <laughs> I know. Just, <laughs> yeah. Actually, it's so funny that you said that because I I was at the hospital the other day and I, I there was a, a resident that I was speaking with and he he was trying to understand why some people are named Muhammad Muhammad. Yeah. And I was explaining that and then we got into the Abdi conversation. And so it just like took an entire day. To you have to explain. There's 99 <laughs> names. And of God. And we have, <laughs> you know, the Abdi means slave servant. of soul. And, you know, it's he's a servant of, you know, the merciful and the gracious and the righteous. And the most and, high. And, oh, goodness. Yeah. It, yeah. So anyways, back to the, the you know, ceremony. Um, there's, you know, we get in line and he's like, and in second place, and I'm probably going to butcher her name. And I was like... <laughs> In my head, I'm just going, you are not making anything better for yourself by the fact that you're acknowledging you're going to butcher my name and then butcher it. Like, <laughs> um, But it, it was it was interesting. So he I, you know, he, he called me up and I think he said Kaha. And wow. I, for the life of me, was trying to understand How where Kaha came from. Like, my name is spelled K-H-A-D-I-J-A. I said, which, where? Like, where did that come from? <laughs> um, so then after the ceremony, I was like, he came up to me and he's like, I'm so sorry, you know. Um, and I, I asked him, I said, where, you know, the name is actually said as it's written. Yeah. Um, and I said, you know, it's the, the pronunciation yeah, is it's, the same. It's the what, where did you get the, 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 and then he said, well, the J is silent in Spanish. So I thought you, and I'm just like, which part of me looks Hispanic? <laughs> so that was the day I realized that, you know, um, they don't know us. Extent, they don't really they know really us. They really do not. Um, yeah. We just kind of look like everybody else yeah. and they just assume that we are. And it's not, it's not their fault necessarily. Um, you know? It's just more so we, yeah, I guess they yeah. don't have as much people that look like me in that area. It's so fascinating though. I was like. I, which part of me looks Hispanic, but oh, that was that was quite quite yeah. the day. Um, but yeah, and then uh, my senior year, I was captain and I won state, and um, it was it was amazing, and it, it was it was great. And then I proceeded on to college, and I went to the University of Minnesota. Okay, so why 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 the U of M? Um, I had you gone could have gone on, anywhere. Yeah. Why the U of M? Yeah, that is true. Um, and funny enough, that's the only school I applied to. Oh wow. I, I know, I know. Don't don't do that though. What okay? a gamble! Please don't don't put all your eggs in one basket. Do not do that. Um, I in no way I'm not advocating for that. Um, I had I did my college tours um, when I was a senior in high school, and uh, I had a lot of people offering me scholarships. And the first school that I had toured was St. Thomas, and I I actually liked it. it it's a really it's a small school, um, and the campus is very beautiful. Um, it's a Catholic school, so a lot of their buildings actually look like 1800 cathedral, yeah. you know, they have like stained glass and yeah. it's, it's a beautiful campus. Um, and my brother had come with me and we had a tour and then we met students from there and the scholarship they had offered me was actually equivalent to the entire tuition of the U. Oh my God. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> oh my God. Um, so it was, it was quite, it was quite the quite the thing to have on my table at 17 I was like okay I don't I don't know and I came home and I told my dad and he was like okay well let's you know look at other schools and then we'll kind of go from there um and I was like okay so then I went and toured the U um and there was something about touring the U that made me feel like okay 
I am gonna get the resources I need in this school for me to promote and further my vision and, and what, what I want to do. And what was that vision at that point? Um, I, I was very passionate about medicine. Um, and my passion for medicine came from my father. Um, when I was growing up, my dad was getting older and he was kind of in and out of the hospital and I would always go with him. And, um, you know, we all would go with him to his appointments, his hospital stays and everything. And these doctors would come in and, you know, would be like, he's starting a new medication today and it's called hydrochlorothiazide. And you're just like, what? What is what? that? How, how many letters is in that word? Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, you know, and medicine, I think, even if you're fluent in English, um, it's a language of its own. Um, I mean, we have a whole class called medical terminology. Yeah. Um, so it didn't matter what I knew. I didn't know what they knew. So and that bothered you? It, well, yeah, because you can't make an informed decision, right? Because, um, you know, the doctor would come in and he would kind of say all these things and be like, we're going to give him this medication and you're sitting there and he's literally deciding for you because you don't know what the medication does. You don't know the side effects of it. You don't know the purpose of it. You don't know why he's taking it. And, and this is your dad, you know? It's like, um, it just didn't settle well with me. It, it really did not settle well with me. So when I went there, um, they, they had a, you know, they kind of had a big field for science. And medicine and they they do a lot of research there and um and i just felt like i would i would be able to get that at that school um so then i went and i i don't i enjoyed it it was amazing i went to the twin cities campus um and they gave me a pretty good scholarship as well and i i was happy with that i had an academic scholarship and it was great um and my second semester rolls around and i have I decided to take general chemistry too with its lab and biochemistry and statistics and lifespan psychology. Oh my God. And then I had like one literature class and one history class. <laughs> I was, okay. yeah. You did do the math. How many credits? I, I know. How it was credits 18 total? credits. Okay. It was 18 credits. Um, and midterms came around and it just insanely overwhelmed me. So I came home, and my my parents and I have a very close relationship, um, and and I love that about them. They they genuinely take the time to get to know each of their kids, and they interact with us um, based on who we are. Um, and I came home, and I sat down with my dad, and I was and I remember I came home pretty late. It was like eleven p.m. or something, and I said, "Dad, I don't think this is for me." And I said, it's hard, it's, I'm not getting it, it's overwhelming, there's a lot, I, I'm not retaining anything, I, I, I just, I don't think this is for me, I need a break and I'm going to take a break. <laughs> um, the beauty of my dad is that he was a remarkably smart man, but he was a very wise man, and the way he disciplined us was in a psychological way. Okay. <laughs> he got in your head. The man, <laughs> the man got in your head. And I, I, gotta hear um, this, hey? I, I actually, when I did my psychiatry rotation, that was one thing I tried to avoid to say because I was like, you know, my patients would be like, I hear voices. And I'd be like, I hear my dad. But no, don't diagnose me. <laughs> um, so I, I sat down with him 
And one thing he did that, that I don't think I'm ever going to be able to do, I don't even know if anybody can do it, is that he, he was not an authoritative parent. He did not tell you, because I'm your father, do this. Um, he sort of gave you options that made it impossible for you to choose the wrong one. <laughs> <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah it's, he was legitimately, um, so it can, was a you legit... Can pick, you can pick from option 1A, option 1B, B, or option 1 But they were all C. the same. <laughs> they were all the same options. <laughs> so one thing he said to me, and I, I remember that up until today, and anytime I have patients or if I have people that I talk to, or I, I always give them this advice, is the advice he gave me. And he told me, he goes, Khadija, he's like, there's three kinds of people in the world. He said, there's those that make things happen. There's those that watch things happen. And there's those people that say, what just happened? Wow. And who would you like to be? Wow. And he just went to bed. And I was like, excuse me, sir. <laughs> what you just happened? say that to me and just walk away. <laughs> and he's like, I'll see you tomorrow morning. I'm like, okay. Thank you, dad. Thank, you know, um, and he's right. He is 100% right. And that night I kind of sat in bed and I pondered on that. And I, I started going through down the list of my friends. And I started going down the list of my family and everybody I knew. And they all either fell into one of those categories. There's those people that wake up in the morning and say, this is my life and I am going to go do something purposeful that's going to make me feel fulfilled and something that is going to empower me and my family and something that I can leave a legacy behind with. That when people remember me, it will be good. And then there's those people who are general spectators of the world. Just living. <laughs> they just sit back and watch things happen. <laughs> you know, and we all have those friends. We all have those friends who, when you are in crisis mode and you're running around, they're sitting there and just watching and you. Just watching and you. you're just you're, like, you're <laughs> what is the purpose of your body being here right your now? Your entertainment. <laughs> Why are you? And there's people who are just absolutely oblivious to everything that's going on around them. Yeah. You know, it's they're so oblivious to the point that Sometimes I actually am worried for them. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, you are so oblivious that I'm worried about you driving on the highway because you have no idea what's going on with life. <laughs> um, and he was right. He, you know, and he was absolutely right. So then I, I was like, you know, I want to make things happen for myself. I'm not, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be one that sits back and um, watch things happen. I want to be in the front line, I want to be the one that's making decisions for myself and making informed decisions for myself, not because they sound good, not because they're glamorous or they look good, um, but because- was it, was it easy making that decision? Absolutely not. Uh, <laughs> absolutely not. Um, because sometimes when people see you from far away, you make it look easy, but- Oh no, please. <laughs> I Nothing know, is easy about it. I know it's um, not easy, but just how hard know, could it, it be? Um, so I think- Beside my culture, um, there, there is this understanding of what a woman is supposed to be, right? Um, as a woman, you are supposed to be soft-spoken. You are supposed to be um, kind of easily influenced. You are supposed to obedient. let somebody obedient. You're supposed to be um, kind of in the background. You're not supposed to, you know, Take charge, speak or, lead. you know. 
and and that's not just my culture. I think that's just across the board. Yeah. I think even in the United States, it's like that. Women, um, we just have that ideology, and it, it's hard. It's hard being, because I've been in situations where I walk in the room and I'm the only woman there. Now, you kind of have to bark extremely loudly for people to hear you. And for you to do that, you have to do some pretty insane things for people to be like, okay, well then, she deserves my attention. Um, There's an amazing book by Sheryl Sandberg. I cannot remember the name. She's the COO of Facebook. And it's an amazing book. And it talks about this exact yeah situation oh yeah. yeah oh yeah it's it's insane um definitely check and it out. for me it's um you know it, it was i i didn't want that stigma on me I, I didn't want that stigma of okay because i'm a woman i am this and i'm that and nobody was going to define who i am i was going to define who i am um but with that being said i think you know you want to look good and so i had friends who look good and they're constantly buying the newest thing and they look great and they go places and they have attention and and I think you know as a person I think we all kind of seek that to a certain extent um and that was I was like well you know I I would like to have somebody I'm with and somebody I'm dating or some you know um and that was another thing like I had again like my father and I had such a very open relationship that I could come in kind of tell him these things and that was one of the things I struggled with is trying to balance my romantic relationship with my personal life um and so then I came to him and I I told him that I at the time I I think I was in one and it was kind of rocky and it um it was really I I don't want to say distracting because I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings but (laughs) um it wasn't it wasn't distracting it was um it was, it was just really more so really, so yeah, it was really once. hard to yeah. kind of logically think of things when I'm emotionally not there. Not ready, yeah. Um, so I, I'd come I to my dad and I... that's the biggest factor people forget. It's that. Yeah. It's not about your current state, like Mm-mm. physically Absolutely. or how much money you have or mm-hmm. whatever. It's all about upstairs. Like, right. are you ready mentally yeah. for so this? Because ro- it is a roller coaster. It is. And yeah. your emotions are very powerful. Yeah. Um, very powerful and at the time if god wills it right right yeah and at the time i you know the emotion that you feel sort of is so overwhelming um it kind of debilitates you yeah that you you feel like everyone listening knows exactly what you're talking about so you know like (laughs) the those emotions that you're having are paralyzing exactly you cannot think about anything else other than that person um, so I had come to my father and I said, you know, dad, I'm, I'm kind of in this situation and it's really hard. And then I started telling him what he was doing wrong and why I was mad and, and all that. And he said, God, do I wish people met this man? Because I am the woman I am because of him. Um, and he said, you know, he's like, the beauty of emotions is that they're temporary. Whoa. And I looked at him and I was like, this guy has no idea what he's talking about because this is not temporary. I feel this every day. You know, I'm like, this is pretty permanent. So I don't know what he's talking about. Um, and then he said, no, no, no. He's like, listen to me. He goes, you feel this way right now, right? And he's like, if your favorite movie were to come on TV, you, you would be happy yeah. for, even if it's for two minutes, right? And he said, that's what I mean by emotions are temporary. 
there is room for them to change. But he said, what is not temporary is the action you take during that emotion. Wow. That action is permanent. Wow. I know. He's wow. insane, right? <laughs> and I was like, what? Dad? Um, I'm going to yeah. have to take notes. <laughs> he, I know. I, this man, I, he needs to write a book. Um, but he, he was right. You know, even if that emotion felt paralyzing, if my friend brought me my favorite ice cream and I was sitting with her eating that ice cream for a minute or two, for those two minutes, I was happy. I was not thinking about that person. But what he was, where he was going at it with it was that if I took the action to stop my life and focus on him, that that action was permanent. I could not undo that action. Um, and he went on to say, he's like, the best thing about the past, he said, nobody can physically drag you and put you back in it. And he's right, because as awful as you feel about the past or whatever happened, you can physically not go back to it and, and relive that day. And it's literally the past. It's the past. Um, okay, so a lot of the people who are listening are mm -hmm. college students. Mm -hmm. What, if you had to put it in a nutshell, okay. Why is college so important? And what about it makes it special? Mm -hmm. And what about it do people take out of context? Mm -hmm. I think um, one thing we have to understand is that we're a minority. And that's just the fact. Yeah. We can't change that. It's reality. We live it. Um, so for you to hold any position that is a leadership position or a position that has power, um, you have to be able to sustain that position. Because um, when you get it, you don't just, first of all, you have to earn it, you don't get it. But when you're in that position, it can be taken away. Um, and so that's what college is. College gives you that opportunity to be able to hold a position that has power, hold a position that is influential, and hold a position that is able to help your society. Um, that is really what college gives you. Um, yes, that piece of paper is so small. But <laughs> so what do you wish? What do you mm -hmm. wish? What skill? What, 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 what specific experience mm -hmm. that every student takes away from the college experience? Um, for because me, I feel like most people go through college and come out the other side exactly the same. Oh, we have a problem then. <laughs> um, yeah, so for me, I think three things that I went into college hoping I would get, I got. Okay. And, and that's the other thing, is that college is a place where you find out who you are. Um, you kind of pave your path and you figure out your identity and your role in this world. Um, and, and that's what you're going in there to do. So for me, what I wanted to get out of there was... I wanted to become a leader. So I was really focused on um, formulating leadership skills for myself. Um, I also wanted to be not only an analytical thinker, but a critical thinker. Um, and I got that as well, but that was what I wanted to get. 
And I think the last thing I wanted to get was a person who has integrity and that I can stand in front of anybody and be true to myself and have the integrity to say, do A, B, and C, but the A, B, and C I'm asking you to do is the right thing I'm telling you to do. Um, so I think that's really important, understanding that when you're going there, you're going there for a purpose, and you have to name your purpose of what you wanna get out of there. Um, I wanted to be a physician, um, so I knew that I, I was gonna be a leader, meaning I was gonna have a team of nurses and a team of staff that were all gonna look to me on what to do. Um, so I had to be a leader. Um, I had to be a critical thinker because I wanna become an emergency medicine. I'm going into emergency and medicine. You have to make decisive decisions. Um, so I need to make decisions very quickly in a critical manner, in an analytical manner, in a crisis. Um, because the patients I get in the ER are not, I mean, I do get some who are like, my nose hurts, but majority of the ones that the ambulance is airlifting them and bringing them to me are, I mean, it's a life or death situation. And the integrity part, the reason it was so important to me is if I save that person and they get out of my ER, then I can go to their family and be like, okay, I, I saved your loved one. But if I'm not able to save that person, I'm able to sit in front of that family and truly look them in the eye and say, I have given it all I got and it didn't happen. But they won't leave that room with any what ifs. There's no room for what ifs. Um, and that's what integrity gave me, that I'm able to sit in front of these families and tell them I did this and this and this and I wasn't able to save your person but I did everything I could. So when they walk out of that room, they feel like their person was in good hands. And that's what was important to me. Um, I think we, we all have different personalities and we're all different people um, and everybody's met for a different career. Um, Abdurrahman is a very people person and he does well with them. Try to be. <laughs> um, you know, and... Uh, so he's probably not, you know, he, he has a different path of life than I do. Um, but I think at the end of the day, the common goal that we all have, whether we are physicians or teachers or, you know, carpenters or businessmen or, you know, it, it doesn't matter the title you have. I think the end goal is for us to make our society better. Um, and we all have, I think, a different thing to do to make that happen. So Okay, let's fast forward to North Western. Yes. How, um, how did that happen? Wait, <laughs> refresh my memory again. I remember you told me this a long time ago. Uh, yeah. Or, or I think I looked this up or something. Oh, how many <laughs> how many students do they accept a year? <laughs> oh, God. For the middle program? Um, we are 92. 92 students. 92 students. You were one of 92. I was one and of And how 92. many applicants? Um, they, I like 20,000 applicants. Like a ridiculous number. Um, yeah. I mean, and Northwestern, North for those of you who don't know. It's basically an Ivy League school. It is. Right here in, in the, the Midwest. Midwest. <laughs> in the Midwest. In Illinois. Right? Uh, it's in Chicago. In Chicago. It's in Chicago, yeah. Yep. Mm -hmm. Okay, so how did that happen? Um, yeah, I, you know, when I took the MCAT, um, I hadn't taken physics when I took the MCAT, which, again, please don't do that. <laughs> um, but I wasn't good at physics. I, yeah. Physics wasn't my thing. Um, I, I was good at biology and microbiome and, 
And I truly knew that whether I took physics or not, I don't think it was going to make a difference in my MCAT score because um, I'm, I'm not good at it. So I did that and then I applied and, and I did research in undergrad as well and um, with Dr. Ty Mendenhall, who's an endocrinologist at the U. Um, and my research in undergrad was looking at the Native American community um, and how diabetes was affecting their community. Um, it's also kind of hitting our Somali community pretty hard too. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and and I th that's one disease that people don't understand. Yeah, um, they're like, oh, it's not a big deal, and the reason it's not a big deal oh, is because no. it doesn't hurt you. It's in like, my family. I got a brother. <laughs> yeah, it's it really is really difficult. To it manage. is it is very difficult. Um, you don't have any pain with it, but when the pain arrives, it's it, it arrives, when yeah. you know there's things are out of hand, it's and people get and you know limbs amputated, they their kidneys fail, people go blind. I mean, it's it's an intense disease. It's scary. Yeah. Um, and my father had it. So yeah. I, that research was important to me. Um, so he was one of the guys that wrote my letters of recommendation to school. And, um, and applying to medical school is actually expensive. It's, the application system is, it's like a centralized application system and it's really expensive. And again, I only applied to one school. Please don't do that. Please don't do that. I oh need <laughs> this to <laughs> hit home. Please don't do it. Um, the reason I did it is because I, I was broke. Um, I was a broke college kid, and I didn't have money to spend on um, 15 applications because applications are like 150 per piece. Um, and then, you know, when you get interviews, and you have the to... follow-ups. Yeah, and then there's the secondary applications, which are each like 80 bucks, Um I think the price has now changed since I applied. But and you get an interview and you have to fly over. You have to fly over there. Um, and, you know, some of the schools, depending on their program, they have two-day interviews. And it's a panel interview the first day where you meet with, like, four people. Yeah. And they interview you. And then the next day is, like, kind of a, you have a, you know, you have a lunch with the school. And then you kind of go around and you meet different people. And each of those people you're meeting are actually interviewing you, but you don't know. Wow. <laughs> um, so it's expensive. It's, it's very expensive. And I, at the time, I didn't have the money. And so I said, you know what? I'm going to throw it out at one school. And, um, and, and I did. And it was, it was awesome. And I, I went. And I am fourth year now. I have one year left. So I'm actually currently working on my residency applications. Um, so what has it what has it been like actually being out in the field here in Minneapolis and how how is that possible how are you going to school yeah. in Northwestern mm -hmm. but you're I'm at school doing, I'm doing your doing rotations, rotations here, here in yeah Minnesota. so what that is called is away rotations okay um, and I couldn't do that until I passed my step one okay. so the first two years of med school is actually classroom setting okay. you are in the class and. You don't have professors. You have actual doctors that come to teach you. So they don't have office hours because they have clinics. <laughs> so that's, that, that part was fun. Um, and then you take your first set of boards. Um, and it's the USMLE Step 1. Um, it's an eight-hour exam. And you get 15-minute breaks in between. Um, and it covers pathology, pharmacology, microbiome, biochem, anatomy, physiology, Histology, embryology, genetics, neuroscience. I mean, it covers a lot. Um, it covers a lot. You lost so, me a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, yeah, it's, it's quite the exam. Um, and you sit through it for eight hours and you take it and you have to pass that exam for you to proceed to rotations. Um, so when I did, I, at the time, um, my 
father was getting older, so I wanted to be back home. I, I didn't want to stay in Chicago anymore. Um, and I came here and applied to do the rotations here. And I had my step one scores were fairly decent um, that I was able to get rotations here. Um, and my first rotation was um, emergency medicine. And I at what hospital? HCMC. Oh my God. Yeah. Tell me about HCMC. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm actually there right now. For, I'm for doing research you, there yeah, right now. For those of you who don't know, it's in the heart of downtown, of downtown Minneapolis. <laughs> Hennepin County and Medical everything Center. Everything that goes down in <laughs> Minneapolis goes, to goes down at HCMC. <laughs> oh, it's it's quite the hospital. Um, I'm actually currently there. I'm I'm doing research there. Um, so what was what's what's the most shocking thing you've seen there? Um, what caught your so attention right away? In emergency medicine. So because I wasn't a way student, um, I had the worst schedule. Okay. So they always scheduled the kids from Minnesota yeah. prior to them scheduling me. Okay. And so my first five shifts in EM were overnights. And they wow. were over Labor Day weekend. Wow. And I had just taken my board. So everything I knew was textbook stuff. I didn't know any. Exactly. I didn't actually know how it translated real over to yeah. real people. Um, the first patient I had, had a UTI, like urinary tract infection. And I came to my attending. Um, so attending is the, the doctor who's kind of running the show. Um, so I came to my attending and I said, oh, her urine came back and she has, you know, 182 white blood cells and she has positive nitrite and she's positive leukocyte esterase. And that means there's an infection there. But then she hadn't wiped prior to her um, giving the sample and so then he looks at the sample and he goes but she has 23 squamous cells which is skin cells and skin cells are they can actually kind of um, alter the yeah. the test and so he's like why are you so sure that she has an infection oh no don't tell me I know and I am looking at this man <laughs> like what are you talking about I know where this is going <laughs> <laughs> you know because when you know when when you learn it from a textbook standpoint it, it tells you okay if you have an infected urine it will have white blood cells it will be positive for nitrate and it will be positive for leukocyte esterase and I saw those three things and I said oh, yep That's she has an infection yeah. and then he picks squamous cells and I'm just like <laughs> I have I don't know anything <laughs> that was the first day it hit me and I said I know zero things <laughs> that was a pretty hard day to come to that realization in the hospital yeah your first patient and you're like I know zero things yeah. okay it's a great feeling um so then we got so we have something called uh, a stabilization room okay. and a stabilization room is what you guys see on tv it's the one it's hectic and People everybody's rushing running in. around. Yes, that's a stay room. Okay. Um, and when they're bringing stay room patients, they page out to the hospital and then they say stay room personnel to the stay room, um, medical trauma or trauma, whatever the patient has, and they say five minutes out. Okay. Meaning they're going to be here in five minutes. Yeah. So then um, different pods will have different staves. So like for, you know, my attending was covering the stay room that night from 2 a.m. until 4 a.m. So for those two hours and his stay room patients that came in, we saw them. Um, and when they made the announcement and we got there, ambulance came and Hennepin County's stay rooms are pretty big. They're, they're huge. Um, so they put four patients in there at the same time. Um, and they brought four guys with gunshot wounds. Um, Two of them kind of died right when they came in. Um, and then the other two, we worked on them. But 
we hadn't because the ambulance arrived prior to the police arriving um and we didn't know that they actually had shot one another <laughs> that's crazy <laughs> yeah so then um i think it was like a gang affiliated shooting or, or whatever the case was but uh they they did and then th- then their folks came right all their friends and everybody else was coming to the hospital so then now the hospital turned into like a whole gang a whole gang center <laughs> that's why there's always a cop posted <laughs> oh yeah right we, outside um it's the only hospital the actually ER. in minnesota that their security staff wears guns wow um every other hospital their Does security not, yeah. guards they don't have guns but hennepin they do um and we have our own place in hennepin so you don't call 911 when you're in hennepin we we have you we have we, we have our own cops <laughs> um so yeah, and then they had to, you know, we had to put the hospital on lockdown, and it it it, it was it was fascinating. I was like, okay, this is this is wonderful. Um, this, is, this is what you signed up for. I, yeah, I, I was like, this is this is what I'm doing with my life. Um, and I remember calling my mom at like four in the morning and being like, the hospital is on lockdown. There's somebody with a gun in the hospital. And my mom, being a Somali mom, said, "Kursi go hosti sagal." Like you need to go <laughs> under the table. <laughs> and I was like, mom, okay. <laughs> I'll make sure to be under the table. <laughs> oh, my mom, she's phenomenal. Um, but yeah, so we we had that, and um, my EM rotation was about eight weeks long. Um, and after the eight weeks, I had OBGYN, um, obstetrics okay, and gynecology. Before we, leave, before we leave the ER, yes. Before we leave the ER, yes. I know this podcast isn't specifically about Somalis, yes. But we are Somali, yes. Right, mm-hmm. and. Our community is not perfect. Yes. And I know mm-hmm. for a fact mm-hmm. that you've seen things you can't unsee. Oh, yeah. At HCMC. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. tell me, mm-hmm. what is the situation like? Um, it's, it's interesting. Um, we, so we, you know, we get gunshot wounds. Most, because most, most of us don't really know what's going on. Yeah. Honestly. Yeah. We, so we have, um, it's a level one trauma center. Yeah. Right. So all the gunshot wounds and um, they usually come to Hennepin. And and it's always kind of hard being the one that's delivering the news. Um, I had a I had a patient once. He was Somali. Um, he was 24. And uh, he was shot in his car, but they shot him 17 times. Oh, my God. Yeah, he he was he was a hard one. Um, so when they brought him to the hospital he was still alive he was um so he he was pretty lucky in it that he was sitting in his car and i think from my understanding they kind of opened fire on one another okay uh, but they kind of just shot the bottom of the car so all the 17 bullets went in his legs yeah um so his legs were not able to be revived um so now he has prosthetic bilateral legs yeah. um so both his legs were gone um and they don't, you know, they don't call the cops for one another. They just kind of leave everybody there. And he, um, I think some neighbor guy called the cops. And when they brought him in, his hemoglobin was 2.2. Explain that, please. Um, so hemoglobin is our red blood cells. Yeah. Meaning how much blood is in our body. Um, a normal adult usually has between 12 and 15. Um, and his was at 2. Wow. Um, so he lost we, a lot of blood. Yes. So if he wouldn't have come, he would have died from bleeding out. Um, and I remember his his blood type was A positive. 
Um, and at the hospital, the only blood type we have in every hospital is O negative because O negative is a universal blood. And anybody who comes through the door that needs blood that we don't know their blood type, we just give them O negative. Um, so he was given O negative. So at the end of the hospital stay, his blood type actually changed over to O negative. Is that, <laughs> is that a usual occurrence? In his case, it oh, was. Oh, <laughs> because li- everything. is gone. That's how much blood he lost. Yes, that we changed his blood type. Yeah. Yeah. That's he, crazy. He lost a ton of blood. So we, you know, the. Um, so is that a regular occurrence? Of specifically in our community, especially, yeah, and it's it's getting higher here in Minneapolis. It's getting higher, and I'm I'm really glad that we did this podcast because that's one of the main things I really want to address. Okay. Is that we have this kind of mentality of like, well, it's not a problem, which like you know, Trying if it's not happening in your house, then it's not an issue, but it's like, if it's happening at your neighbor's house, it's gonna happen in your house. It's going to affect you. Either tomorrow or the next day. But I guarantee you it will come to your house. So it, so with him um, in Hennepin, we, you know, so obviously I am, I am busy. I, I can't call families. Um, so we have a chaplain who is usually in the stay room. Um, and the chaplain is not like religious affiliated. They're just chaplains. So their job is to actually call these people's families. And when the, the families get there, they actually, like, kind of deal with them. Um, so they put them in a room and they, you know, calm them down. And they, you know, put them in a room where they're like, oh, like, you know, they give them, you know, just kind of try to calm them down. Yeah, ease the situation. Um, so then I come in after the fact. And I, I remember going into the room and his mom, like, had... Her like, you know, she had her gorgora over her body. So like her inner wear was outside. Like, so, and her clothes were like inside out and she had shoes that were not the same color or even the same height, you know? And I, I understand because it's 3 a.m. and a hospital called you and told you your kid is in the hospital. So, and I, I looked at her and she was happy that I'm her culture and I'm, and I'm part of her, you know. She was like, okay, well, and I, she said to me prior to even me talking, she said, like, you know, she's like, I am begging you, tell me anything you want to tell me in the world, but do not tell me my son is dead. You know, I, she was lucky because I didn't, but there've been women in her position that I have. And just because it's not your son or it's not your brother or he's not your kid or whatever the case is, does not mean it's not going to affect you. Um, not too long ago, actually, I went to go it's fascinating to see like 25 year olds dying you know and and you don't even know why they were shot because somebody does this and somebody else said this and somebody said that and now somebody's dead and the point i try to make with them is that you do not understand the power of the gun you do not understand 
that when you pull that trigger and that bullet comes out of that gun, you can no longer control what it's about to do. And it has the strength and the capacity to cause damage that's permanent, that cannot be undone. And it, it's, it's, it's crazy really baffling. It's our, really baffling. Our community here has absolutely no idea mm-hmm. how bad the situation is, especially for our, our sons, young, our young Somali boys. boys. It, it's bad. Our young I men, mean, I had, should say. I had a patient. It's, it's almost like everyone's like, oh, you know, like Toronto's pretty bad. Oh, no. Because it's always in the news. But here, it has literally become a norm. A norm. It's been normalized. And that's so what's scary about it. Just because it's not in the news. It does not mean does it's normal. Does not mean. <laughs> it's happening or it's not happening. It, and it's, it's wrong for us to normalize those kind of things. This right here will be all for this week. This is Aqil, your host. Hope you got plenty of gems already from Khadija. And many more to come your way next week. Where life truly is amazing. Right here on the Journey Podcast. If you have any questions for Khadija, send them my way and I will gladly forward them over to her. I'll also provide you guys with her direct email next week. You can find me on Instagram at Aqil underscore Aqil C-A-A-Q-I-L underscore. My DMs are completely open, so pull it away. Or, or you can also reach me at the email address I made specifically for this podcast. Journey with Aqil. Journey with Aqil. Again, Aqil C-A-A-Q-I-L at gmail.com. Thank you all for listening and enjoy yourself till next time. Peace out.